0: Hello listeners and welcome to another State of the Union, your weekly breakdown of all things Scottish independence. I am your hostess, Stephen Payton, and today I'll be taking you on a journey to answer the question, should Scotland be an independent country? The date is Saturday the 20th of November 2021, let's get started. Kicking things off, Boris Johnson is having a rough old time of it and no... I am not just talking about the ongoing sleaze and corruption scandal that has helpfully reminded us all of exactly how Westminster operates. No, I am talking about the fact that the big-ticket political events of the past year that should have helped cement support for the union have, in fact, done the opposite. Looking at COP26... A global climate summit held in Glasgow that was supposed to show off how strong the Union was and has actually only helped build the case for independence. Every effort was made to keep Nicola Sturgeon out with the conference, to keep the UK in the spotlight, and boy, did world leaders notice, just not in the way that Johnson had hoped. Instead, it became clear. That Scotland seemed far more prepared to take the climate crisis seriously than the Prime Minister and his coterie. With the climate conference passed and the global spotlight having shone on Scotland for those two weeks. Nicola Sturgeon has announced that the country is more than capable of making its way in the world. Writing for The National, the First Minister noted that Scotland has just welcomed the world to Glasgow before going on to say that the reaction to our efforts from the world leaders I spoke to in Glasgow was hugely encouraging. Scotland's enforced absence at the climate conference was certainly noted by others, and Sturgeon was ultimately congratulated on her monetary commitments to dealing with the consequences of climate change. Off the summit too, the pandemic has shown that Scotland is ready to be an independent nation, though I'm sure Boris had hoped that it would show the opposite to be true. Look to other nations, equal in size to Scotland, who have handled the pandemic well, and even been able to implement plans to protect jobs and health in a way that Scotland has been unable to while tied to the Union. If others of similar size and economic output were able to, there's no reason to think that Scotland could not have also. This was reflected in a piece recently by Kate Forbes, also writing for The National, who noted that under Westminster control, the UK is already lagging far behind our European neighbours in a huge range of measures of health, wealth and happiness before making the point that when it comes to our recovery from the pandemic too, can the Tories really be trusted to build back in a way that is fair, green and strong, and not just more austerity for us while filling their own pockets with lucrative side hustles? After all, what steps were taken during the pandemic that could not also have been taken by an independent Scotland? So. Sorry Boris, but neither the UK's response to the pandemic nor the climate summit will be the propaganda tools you had clearly hoped they would be. And who knows, maybe they could have pulled it off if not for the fact that the UK is currently being led by an Etonian mess of a Prime Minister. But to be fair, the failings of the British state cannot purely be laid at the feet of Boris Johnson. If anything, he is more of a symptom of Britain than the cause. The British state is deeply broken something that more and more no-voters appear to be more aware of in recent years. Justice Secretary Keith Brown has stated that he believes the recent behaviour of the Tory government will continue to push former no-voters to consider where they stand on the union, particularly those quote, who have just been appalled by what they have seen as almost like the disintegration of the British state. Whether it's proroguing Parliament or signing an international treaty you then renounce two minutes later or some of the behaviour of the Tory party, I think those people are turning away from the prospect of a UK which they formerly respected as an international actor and they have lost respect for it. I think that would probably enhance the number of people looking to vote yes at a future referendum. And that makes complete sense to me. There were plenty of reluctant no voters in 2014 that I suspect are finding it harder and harder to maintain that position in light of how Westminster has treated not only Scotland but the rest of the UK these past few years, particularly at a time when the Johnson government has been trying to smash its way through the devolution agreement with brute force to get what he wants. I'm referring of course to the Internal market Bill, amongst other things, which is letting the UK government override decisions made by the Scottish Parliament in favour of their own standards. I know that if I had voted no in 2014 on the basis of faster, stronger devolution, I would be approaching the next referendum knowing that that had turned out to be a falsehood. The institution of Westminster as it stands is incapable of truly ceding actual control especially in areas where it benefits them to keep a hand on how things are going. And finally, this week, the Progress to Yes event that I mentioned in uh, my last show has sold out already. Aberdeen Independence Movement has announced that all tickets are now gone, more than 100 days ahead of when the event is due to take place. But don't call it off just yet. The group, which is working alongside Believe in Scotland, Women for Independence and Bell Caledonia, are now looking for a bigger venue and alternative options to get more tickets on the go. Aberdeen Independence Movement co-chair Jack Gillies noted that we think this shows that the movement is eager to get to work. i agree. But that does bring us to an end this week. So with all that said, where does that leave the State of the Union? In about the same place as Boris Johnson's reputation. See you all again next week.